Hey guys, and welcome to a brand new episode of Nerds Talk Movies. My name is Taylor, and I'm going to be your host today. Joining me for this fantastic, for this super episode, if you will, is one of my usual co-hosts, Drew Garrison. Drew, how you feeling? I am excited. This is going to be good. One could even say that it's going to be an invincible episode. Oh, it's going to be invincible from criticism, for sure. Because <laughs> this show, I- I've said it before, and I'm going to say it in our prelude. Invincible Season 1 is one of the greatest first seasons in television to me. I think it's about as near perfect as you can get for like a pilot season. And this special episode, man, it did wonders for one certain character. And we'll be able to get into it. But you saw the title. You know the deal. Today we are talking about Invincible Adam Eve. Here's a synopsis for Invincible Adam Eve, courtesy of IMDb. Quote, In this special prequel episode, Samantha Adam Eve Wilkins discovers her superpowers as a young girl and must come to terms with her own sinister origins as she discovers a family she never knew she had. End quote. And here are some of the main cast for the film, along with director and writer credits. Again, this is coming from IMDb. It was directed by Haley Herrick. It was written by Helen Lee and Robert Kirkman. It is based on the comic book by Robert Kirkman, Corey Walker, and Ryan Otley. The voice cast goes as follows. Jaslyn Ione as Eve, age 12. Arya Kane as Eve, age 7. Stephen Root, the great Stephen Root, as Brandy Worth, <laughs> and also the great and the late great, sadly, Lance Reddick as Erickson. By the way, we're going to get into standout performances, but Lance Reddick had this incredible ability to sound, and like the way he voice acts and acts, he sounds the same, but is somehow different. Like, if he wants to be menacing and sinister, he can do it. And if he just wants to sound like the supporting character, like in John Wick, that's like, hey, man, I got your back. What you need? He can sound like that, too. And I never understood how he managed to pull that off. It's something with the cadences in his voice. It's gotta be, because, man, he just was so creepy in this movie. In, or in this episode, it felt a little bit like a movie, uh, yeah. even though it was only, what, 55 minutes? I think we looked it up. Yeah, it was around 55 minutes, which is surprising. I th- it felt shorter to me, but I guess that, and it's weird because there's a lot of slow moments in this, but it, it's like, I guess it just pulls you in. It doesn't feel as long as it does. Oh, I agree, definitely. Maybe the beginning a little bit, but that's getting into our thoughts. Let's talk yeah. about the oh, rest hold on. of the Just because here. we talked about Lance What's Reddick. That? Uh, just because we talked about Lance Reddick, I wanted to bring this up. It's like, I am so mad because a lot of Lance Reddick's career is being the evil bad guy. And I just wanted once where he was like the hero or the mentor. And I don't think I've ever seen uh, anything with Lance Reddick where he's one of those things. And it's like, <sighs> Well, in video game form, you had Destiny 2. Oh, he was yeah. Zavala. Oh, yeah. Dang it. One of the if only I play, in the... If only I played Destiny 2. Hey, man. I can't speak for the game's current state, 
But I've had a lot of hours putting in Destiny 2. I've had a great time with it. Its current state, that's a whole different question, and that's going to uh, probably be brought up on Power Up and Game sometime in the future. Uh, but this is Nerd Stop Movie, so let's continue on with our voice cast. And of course, we do have cameos by the Grayson family, including J.K. Simmons as Nolan Grayson, a.k.a. Omni-Man, Stephen Yoon as Mark Grayson, I presume he was also age 12 in this, and Sandra Oh as Debbie Grayson. Lastly, movies and TV shows are driven by more than just a director, writers, and cast. There are hundreds of people who are working hard on each project. So for each movie or show we cover, we also spotlight either a certain group of the crew or a specific crewmate, depending on who we think or what we think is the movie or show's best trait. Cast members not included in our main cast section are also eligible to be selected for this part too. For me, since this cast list is insanely talented, I pointed out Lance Reddick and Stephen Root immediately in the <laughs> voice cast there. I gotta go with Linda LaMontagne. Linda LaMontagne is listed as the person who did the casting for the episode. So, Drew, who are you going with? Uh, I've been trying to look for the animator on the list because uh, this has been this has been like a well done step up of animation from the first season, which is probably like the weakest link of season one of Invincible. It felt like the finale was the best in terms of animation, but it felt like that was where all their animation budget went to. Like they yeah. knew that ahead of time. I was like, all right, we got to cut corners where we can here <laughs> leading up to the finale. Yeah. But um, I can't find the direct animation like department. All there is the animation checker, which is Justin uh, Schultz. Justin Schultz. I think that's how it's pronounced. So I'm going to say Justin Schultz, since he's the animation checker. I, yeah, I can agree with that. I do think, like I just said, I think the animation is much better in this episode compared to, especially the beginning, the mid of season one. And I'm very curious if it's going to remain that quality for season two to the finale of season two. From the looks of the commercial, it's like it looks like it. <laughs> yep, it does look like it. And it also looks like that was a thing where... Amazon was like, all right, sure, we'll give you a little bit of money. Make your animation series that we're kind of interested in. But we got the boys, all right? That's our cash cow. And then Invincible came along, and it was a pretty big hit, all things considered. It's like, wait, are you telling, wait, are you telling me that our thing with an evil Superman just got upstaged by our, th by our animation with an evil Superman? <laughs> it, it is kind of weird. Amazon's got two shows with, if you want to boil it down to that very basic premise, yeah. I guess they got the they got the market cornered on evil Superman. <laughs> but let's go ahead and get into this, shall we? This was quite a surprise, wasn't it? A few months before Amazon Prime drops Invincible Season 2, the streaming service released a special episode of Invincible. But instead of it focusing on the title character or the present day events, this episode gives us the origin story of Samantha Eve Wilkins, a.k.a. Adam Eve. Drew, you were not on the team when Tristan and I did our Invincible Season 1 spoiler talk years ago at this point. At least it feels like years ago. And if anyone listening hasn't heard that episode yet, check it out. 
But spoilers, Kristen and I both thought it was a near-perfect season, as I mentioned at the top of this podcast. And I think we both rated it a 10 out of 10. That was when we did ratings. We're going to do an Invincible retrospective to get ready for Season 2 in a few weeks. And Drew, you will be on that one. We're going to make sure of it. Because honestly, that's the whole reason we're doing this retrospective. (laughs) It's because we got to get your full thoughts. Uh, Thank you. (laughs) I'm going to be excited. But we got to go through this special episode first. Drew, why don't you tell the people and myself your quick bullet point thoughts on Invincible Season 1 and your overall experiences with it? Because all you've told me is it's awesome. And that's yes, because that's because that is because I was saving I was saving it for the retrospective. But bullet points: when I first saw that Invincible was getting an animated series, I was like, "Oh my god!" One of my favorite series is getting it. It's getting the animated treatment. They're not doing some some live action thing like Marvel. They are actually allowing us to see the full glory of it in animation. And then I saw the cast. I saw every. I saw um, everything that went into it. The only thing that ifed me was the animation. But the com- but when the first commercial came out, I said, "I don't care. I'm ride or die for this show." I was gonna be like Tristan. I was gonna be like Tristan with the DCEU. I was gonna be like, "I don't care if it's bad. I'm gonna say it's good." Uh, but I didn't have to do that because it's really, really, really good. Like if you've read the, you com- guys are the worst reviewers. <laughs> you just openly admit it. Tristan openly admits, like, hey, I'm a DC fan. I, I know I know it's wrong, but I'm going to like it, even if it's bad. And you just sat here with Invincible being like, even if it was bad, I would have kind of liked it. You guys are just, what's going on here? Look, look I, unlike Tristan, I never had to do it. So calm down, Taylor, calm down. I'm always calm. I just, you know, had to point that out for the people. Okay? I know, I know, I know, I know. And for the people... Yeah, that yeah, I understand. It's like that's not exactly a good thing to hear from a reviewer, but I will say it's also a bit pretty much. Like we would kind of like if it was bad, we would have criticized it. Oh, it yeah, would have been like, a, like, oh yeah, we kind of like with Suicide Squad and BVS. Like Tristan sat up here was like, yeah, I can't really defend Suicide Squad, but I like BVS. But the whole time <laughs> we kind of just criticized the shit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's that's one of the things about me. It's like. I, even if I, like, like something, I am fully willing to criticize it. Spider-Man, Spider-Man 1 and 2 are some of my favorite movies, and I will say, they look goofy as shit. Uh, and Invincible, and Invincible Season 1, only, th- only bad spot, the animation, you can tell. It's like, okay, how do we save money? Let's drag a, uh, a, a JPEG of Mark across the screen to simulate flying. Uh, you can, you can see it. Hey man, you know the budget's gone up, okay? That's all that matters. Okay, the budget has gone up. Look, look, look. When season two comes out, I'm going to be... I'm going to be saying, oh my god, did you guys see this? You guys see this? That budget, though. That budget. But <laughs> until then, until then, I can be I can be um, technical about the animation if I want. But overall, let's... Because I want to get back to Adam Eve. Overall, Yeah, I was about to say, one, let's get back to this. Yeah, season one great it takes volumes one and two or volume one if you have the new hardbacks it takes that and just rolls with it changes some orders around just to make it good for animation but it keeps the heart and soul of almost everything in those first two volumes 
almost everything. Well, let's go ahead and you talked about some of Comic Connections here. Uh, you got anything else before we get into our general thoughts? Uh, if you want Comic Connections, the Adam Eve special is based on Invincible Adam Eve. Uh, well, Invincible presents Adam Eve number one and two. It is just two issues. If you ever want to go read it, it's pretty good. Uh, but yeah, it, it's based off of that, and it all and it gets and it's just like uh, Invincible season one. It changes some stuff around, but otherwise, it is a near perfect adaptation of the comic. Well, let's go ahead and get into our general thoughts. I thought this episode was really damn good oh and my god i'm i'm getting my thoughts out here first because i was i didn't love or hate adam eve in season one she was just kind of there and gillian jacobs does a really good job and there's some moments where you like are rooting for adam eve but there wasn't anything that i think for the audience at least for me to where i can go yeah she feels like the second main character here. Or the second main protagonist. I think that's a better way to put it. This episode gave me that and so much more. This was a depressing-ass episode. But it was also action-packed. It had a few, I don't want to say funny moments, but it had a few moments that made you kind of smile. And it gave you a better look, too. Because in the first season, uh, Eve's family, her parents... Yeah, for me, like I for me, it's like I under I'm halfway with the parents because like at one point I understand you don't want your daughter going out being a superhero because that leads to but death. there's a too far. Yeah, there's a too far. They've gone too far. Yeah, especially the dad. The dad is just a dick, a complete dick, and I don't think he's shown much of sympathy or empathy for us to be empathetic towards him the entire time. Yeah. Uh, so. Oh, and don't read the comic. <laughs> oh, is it worse in the comic? So, he's not worse, but let me just say it like this. If they adapt what happens with him in the series, uh, <laughs> oh, you're gonna, you're not gonna like this man even more. Probably want to, like, just see him get his comeuppance real bad, especially with what he, uh, says. Well, just speaking about this episode, though, like I was saying, I think this is a great episode, and I think this did wonders for Samantha Eve Wilkins, to where she was a character that I would put, like, oh yeah, she's alright, to, shit, she is right there with Omni-Man, with Mark, slash Invincible, and she's sitting right there all beside him. And also, by the end of it, you're going, I want to see Omni-Man versus Eve. I just, I don't know exactly, I haven't really thought out how that fight would go. I just want to see what would happen, because she could fuck people up. And I don't think in the first season, there wasn't the explanation for, like, okay, how do her powers work exactly? Well, she's called Adam Eve. I know, but they don't give you the origin story and, like, everything going on with her powers and how they exactly work and what what's her full extent of her abilities. In this episode, you get that. So I think there's a lot of, oh shit, she's a big deal. And we didn't really know that in season one. But what are your thoughts on this episode? As somebody who has seen all this in comic form. As somebody who has seen all this, admittedly, when I first read the comic, 
and she got her big moment and everything because of who she was designed after or maybe she wasn't i never really found out but because of who she was designed after i couldn't help but go hear me invincible universe i am no longer the woman you knew i am fire and life incarnate i am adam eve but uh <laughs> got that out of the way <laughs> But yeah, I as someone who's seen all this before, seeing it in animation is just amazing. And again, they add a little more because when you're doing a comic book, you just add a few panels. This one, they give you a whole fight scene and it is brutal. Like, ooh, it made me cry all over again. Like, uh, dang. Eve, Eve goes through the ringer and I'm, don't really, and then it's like, I need to reread the um, series again, but I am 99% sure she never tells Mark her history. She's 12, by the way. In the events of this episode, she's over here, like, beaten to a bloody pulp by her siblings. At 12 years old. Who knows if she ever tells anybody? Yeah. Because that I... could just be a thing that we know as the audience and she knows, and then we just go forward. Yeah, if there's one, if there's one thing I will give Eve, is that she is that in the um ser- in the series she's the one who processes her trauma uh the most um successfully out of most of the characters. Uh there are a few moments where she caves, but it's like yeah, she deserves those moments and it's like nobody can stay strong 100% of the time, but she gets her moments to uh to um process her trauma and she becomes stronger for it. And uh, like you, you will eventually see her get her Phoenix mode again. I know it's not Phoenix for all the viewers, but I'm gonna call it Phoenix mode because she's basically. Jean it Grey. feels like Phoenix mode. It definitely does, and I say that in the best way. It feels like a mix between Gohan in Dragon Ball Z and Jean Grey turning into the Phoenix. Yeah, and it, it's like, and if you read comics, it's like that is basically Jean Grey. It's like even without Phoenix, she has she has a psychic mode where she basically is the same as Adam Eve molecular manipulation and all so i'm not hearing nothing about it but at but uh with adam eve it's like when i saw the when i saw this and everything i thought i was just gonna be ready for it all and yet this made me cry again you want to go ahead and talk about that ending you know what Le- yeah sure this is supposed to be spoiler talk let's talk about the yeah. ending. let's talk about the ending because i think it's one of my favorite parts of the movie i am somebody i just referenced Gohan from Dragon Ball Z. That's one of my favorite moments in television history. I'm not even a huge anime fan. I just remember that as a kid. I, I like I watched that years ago, getting back into it, and I watched the uh, Team Four Star uh, version. Was it called a uh, Dragon Ball Z Abridged? Yes. Which I think, and this might be a hot take here. At least this one moment, I think it was better than the original. The reason I agree is because unlike in the original Dragon Ball. They set up Gohan's ascension to Super Saiyan 2. Like, mm-hmm. in the original, they didn't do that. It came out of nowhere for me. It was still epic, but it came out of nowhere for me. And unfortunately, I didn't get into Dragon Ball when I was a, when I was a young kid. I was very more analytical when I got into Dragon Ball. And I noticed the writing discrepancies because of that. I'm glad you mentioned that, because I think in this episode, they set up 
like, oh no, something is holding her back. And Brandenworth even says, like, no, doesn't he say, like, there's a mental block he installed? Yep. Basically to where she cannot access all of her abilities. And then you see at the very end, like, oh no, she got past it. And she got past it with what I think some would call pure rage. Oh, <laughs> so yeah. I think we figured out, hey, if we need to take down somebody massive in the Invincible universe and Mark can't get it done and Omni-Man can't get it done, which I don't think Omni-Man's going to be doing much saving anymore, but I think you just need to get <laughs> Eve really, really, really pissed off and she's going to get that job done. I really, really want to spoil stuff for you. Because I want to talk with you about some of the stuff that happens, but I am keeping my mouth shut. I know, buddy. I, I just I want to go in a little blind here going into season two. I'm excited for it. Like, for real. I, I mean this. I'm not being, I'm not exaggerating. I'm not speaking hyperbole here. This episode did wonders for me with Anime as a character. She's probably my second or third favorite character right now. Oh, she's she's gonna be one of your favorites by uh I don't I can't tell how much they're gonna put in season two, but she's gonna be one of your favorites as the series continues. She has so many, so many good moments. It's it's she's awesome. That's yeah. all I'm gonna say. I would say Invincible Mark is number one. I would say probably Anime is number two and Omni Man's three. And I know everybody loves Omni Man, but I feel like his best work is possibly ahead of him. I find his future to be the most interesting what they end up doing, whether they stick faithful to what the comic does, if they end up doing their own thing with it. But I find what he's doing next to be the most interesting, and we haven't seen the best out of Omni-Man yet. Now, we have gotten the best lines out of Omni-Man, <laughs> I'll say that, in terms of, damn, he went there. So when I heard that Invisible Season 1 was coming, I said, they're going to have to tone some of this down. Even in a mature audience, some of this stuff is brutal. It's like, nope, they kept it in. It's like, I can all, I can, what, 17 more years, I can always make another kid. I was like, they kept it Christ. in! The train scene. Oh no, that was unique. The train scene was unique? That's cool. Yeah, they added that. Uh, but this is about the Adam Eve special. It's kind of hard to just talk about that and not talk about season one, too, and like how they compare. But yes. yeah, man, uh, what are your general thoughts? I've been speaking this whole time on my thoughts here. So yeah. what are your general thoughts on the episode? General thoughts? The writers are brilliant. They know exactly how to keep Adam Eve close to classic, but also her own thing. And honestly, her entire storyline feels very X-Men vibe to me. And I know she's based off of Jean Grey, so of course, but, <laughs> but she feels... I unique. think you're right. Like, yeah, like, let, let's be honest. Red hair, telekinetic abilities, and Jean has constantly bounced into matter manipulation so many times. To the point where you kind of wonder why don't they, why they keep trying to depower her. It's like, just let her do her thing. Uh, but the whole thing with Adam Eve is like she's she feels like it like um and sort of X-Men style character complete with the emotional childhood baggage that goes with it uh but overall I love her I love her story because oh in the end even as heartbreaking as her story is she still chooses to go about her life and not let it completely define her it's a piece of her life that helps shape her and not define her and if you read if you read the Adam Eve special 
or watch the Adam Eve uh, content, everything. It's like as you go in, some of her decisions start to make a lot start to make a lot more sense. Like they already made sense, but then it's like you realize, oh, oh, and just getting that feeling of refreshness again after seeing the special. It's just, it's perfect. It's like icing on a very delicious cake. Uh, what are your thoughts on the ending? Then get your full thoughts there. That ending, like, it hits me every time. Just seeing her transform her family photo to her siblings. And just them having that happy moment that they never actually have. Oh, (laughs) why? Why do you do this to me, Amazon? (laughs) You've got my money. I buy most of my packages from you. Why are you doing this? Uh, but it also, but it was like, seriously, <laughs> you <got> my money, <laughs> it, but seriously, like, they want your soul, Drew, uh, you don't understand, they don't just want your money, they want your time, they want your soul. I have no soul to give, okay? Well, that got dark. I sold it a long time ago to a guy for 35 cents. Anyway, like, the... Like that, the ending really does bring everything home, and the reason, and a huge reason why she doesn't talk about it. Because why would you want to talk about your siblings who you could have possibly had a family familial bond with, but nothing was set up in your favor to allow that? It was always going to be you. It was always going to be you either die with them or you're the last survivor. That is just. Ugh, that is just heartbreaking. Yeah, it is. Uh, I agree with a lot of what you said. Some of what you said I didn't hear because you went out on Discord. So that's going to be interesting when I edit this thing. Uh, <laughs> but let's talk about standout performances, all right? Let's kind of roll a bit back here. I think there's a lot of standout performances in this thing. Jaslyn Ione as Eve, age 12, did great. I Agreed. think Stephen Root is awesome as Brandon Worth. Stephen Root is, to me, a legendary actor from Dodgeball, Office Face, Barry. Barry is a top-tier show. You should definitely watch it. And, of course, I do have to close out on Lance Reddick, R.I.P. as Erickson. Like I mentioned at the top of the show, I have no idea how he manages to sound similar or the same. And somehow I feel so different about <laughs> his performances. <laughs> it's a very uncanny thing. Agreed. Uh, I wanted to, I want to pull out some standout performances because I agree with everything. So I'm going to pull out some different ones. Uh, Ross Mark Markwand as the Immortal. Uh, we are going to be seeing a lot of him. Immortal's got some good um, stuff in Invincible, but you mean Abraham Lincoln? <laughs> Don't you mean Vandal Savage? I love how they just threw that in there. I'm sorry to go back to Invincible Season 1, but man, it deserves to be pointed out. I love how they just, like, threw in. Didn't, like, tell you. They didn't, like, linger on it. They was just like, oh, yeah, this guy was Abraham Lincoln. All right, anyways, moving on. (laughs) (laughs) So, whoa, whoa, whoa. Want to also shout out J.K. Simmons, just because Omni-Man, like, he he is Omni-Man. Phil Lamar, who is sidekick slash Salamander. Legendary voice actor. Yeah, he he is. I hope he's in. I hope he's in more. Like, ooh, Phil Lamar is just too good to like just have in to be one of your side characters. It's like I get, I get it. You have a stack cast already. I am pretty sure most of Invincible's budget has gone towards the cast. But 
<laughs> Please, Morphe Lamar. And uh, finally, I wanted to give it to War Woman, but if I'm going to be honest, Laura Kohan was probably the weakest of the voices. I think she did way better in season one. She did. She did. I'm not saying she even did bad. It was just like, I think everybody was like too good to where being just okay. I wouldn't say okay. I actually thought she did a good job. It just wasn't, if we're talking standout, I think there was better standouts. You know what I mean? Yeah. Whereas season one, in the one episode I think she's in it, she's pretty damn good. I think everybody from the Walking Dead cast that came in to voice those characters was like, all right, Robert Kirkman, we got you. Yeah, but uh, Gray Griffin is my other standout, just because there's so much inflection in the mom's voice in uh, Betsy. And you can tell, like, she wants to, like, do the right thing. But at the same time, she also agrees with the um, father a bit to where it's like, uh, it's like, uh, this is, it's so much for you to, like, be um, out all night, not tell us your superpowers p- can put you in danger or you could, you could be a danger. It's like you're ignoring us at the same time. And it's like, it's just like you get, you get all of it, the hassle of being a mom, but also like. At the same time, being in that middle space of you want to comfort your child, but at the same time, you agree with some of the stuff that the other person's saying, even if it's not the best way of putting it. Yeah. The talk about Robert Kirkman for a second. I got a hot take here. Okay. I think Invincible is way better than The Walking Dead in terms of his creations. Agreed. It feels like he is way more creative with Invincible than he was with, and that's not even to say like The Walking Dead's bad I think for the zombie genre especially the comic seems like the comic was pretty damn solid to good and then whenever I think the ending was I, I would assume it was controversial for the comic but I thought that was a wonderful way to end it uh, but you look at Invincible and some of the stuff that they do here and I want to talk about the beginning here because it felt like they were kind of riffing on the Avengers I loved it. And it wasn't like, hey, I hate the Avengers, or, oh, we criticize the MCU now, so anything that criticizes the MCU, we're going to love. It felt like just playful banter towards it, to where, oh, yeah, they're cracking jokes because this is an Avengers thing for them. They're on a mission, and it's all fun and games, and nobody's going to die because we know nobody dies. This is a prequel. So, um... I'm glad you said Avengers, but in actuality, because it, it is obvious who they're based off of. It's like, yeah, this was Justice a crack League. at Justice League comics at the yeah. time it was being written. Because the mm-hmm. Justice League had that a bit. Now, don't get me wrong, when the Justice League got serious, it was like, okay, we're like, it's like super serious at the moment. But it's like, one of the things with the Avengers was that it was rare that they fully cracked jokes in the middle of their fights. That was a fully Spider-Man sort of thing. Or sometimes, sometimes, not all the times, but sometimes Iron Man, with Robert Downey Jr. taking over the role, that heavily changed. Yeah, and it's heavily changed for Marvel, period, now. And that's why I compare it, right? I, like, I think you're right, 100%, because I remember that being talked about when Invincible came out. Like, that's who they were based on, the Justice League. But I feel like this here was more of, hey, you know what, these Avengers movies, everybody's cracking jokes, let's have some fun with that. Let's have all the heroes be friends and friendly and they're cracking jokes at each other and there's no real danger. But meanwhile, there's legitimate danger with Adam Eve's mom going on. I thought that was a great juxtaposition there. 
between this like very fun Avengers movie kind of thing. And wait a minute, this seems like a depressing storyline that's about to start here. Honestly, that is a good juxtaposition to have. I also like the fact that Omni-Man sees the car and doesn't know anything about it, could possibly do something, and you're just like, eh, it's no more trouble than it's worth. Speaking of Omni-Man in this movie, I love the part at the very end where you just see the emotions he's going through of, like, ah, I hate these people, but I also love these people. And what am I going, like, what am I putting myself through? He's so hoping that his son doesn't have power, so he doesn't have to do anything. Mm-hmm. It's like, I can spend my life with my kids. And just move on. Yeah. Uh, but to talk about Adam Eve here, how do you feel about her friendship with Val? Because I think in terms of comparisons to something like the X-Men, I think you hit the nail on the head here. To where she shows off her superpowers once she discovers them to her friend. That we see that they've been friends for years. To this point. And yeah. now she's going to private school because she just memorizes things. And Val sees like she has superpowers and she is fucking frightened of Eve now. And she wants nothing to do with her. And that does feel very X-Men like. Yeah, it is very X-Men like. I like the fact that Val is afraid is afraid and everything. And it's not even like she could have possibly um, process it a bit better but Eve just didn't hold back when she was making it so it's like that's mental scar is there so it, it's like it's under it's understandable because they're kids and everything and it's different it's weird and they're at the point in their lives where they just want to be normal to a degree but it's like it's also very sad because it's like that was Eve's last lifeline her friend was her lifeline of okay. I live this kind of crappy life, but I li- at least I have someone who's there for me and understands me. And then it's like, then it's gone. And it's like, she doesn't know what she can do to get it back. It's really interesting. I like it. And also it makes the burger in the comics a lot sadder. Because before, Eve just transformed um some food into a burger so she could eat. Because she didn't want to eat, uh, what was it? I should have read it before this, uh... So. It was an olive and cream cheese sandwich, which does not sound good. Okay, <laughs> I guess, yeah, so, yeah, so you transformed it from an olive and cream cheese sandwich into a burger. But, yeah, that was, uh, that, it's like, they made the burger more impactful. How could you make a burger feel impactful, Robert Kirkman? I know why, because you're a brilliant writer. Yeah, I think the writing team did great in this episode. And I think another way that did great was with Brandyworth as well. Because they made this guy who has done ethically questionable, at best, things pretty sympathetic. Like, he's a decently likable character, I feel like, throughout the entire episode. Yeah. You mentioned, like, Val was the lifeline for Eve, and then... She has Brandyworth to talk to, and be like, oh, you knew my mom. And one of my favorite parts in this entire episode was she uh, asked Brandyworth, like, oh, who was my mom? Was she, like, a scientist working with you or something? And we hear Brandyworth say, yes, you hit the nail on the head. That's exactly it. But then we see the truth, that yeah. she was homeless, and he recruited her for this. 
And he just didn't want to put Eve through that. I thought that was a fucking brilliant way to do it. Yeah, just it's like she doesn't need to. She doesn't need to know that she can have this beautiful picture of her mom. That was great. And she still has that beautiful picture of her mom by the end of it. And now the sad part is, is that imaginary family group. <laughs> it's a very depressing story, isn't it? It really is. Like, don't go into this being like, oh man, the first five, ten minutes really sets you up with that Avengers tone. Like, with them cracking the jokes and, oh, we're bringing in the reservist. And the whole bit about, oh yeah, everybody's putting letters on their chest. Is that what this is? (laughs) All that is like, oh man, this is going to be fun. And then ten minutes later, you're like, this isn't as fun as I thought it was going to (laughs) be. It's really good, but it's not as fun. Uh, oh, speaking of the letters, I do want to point out. I do want to point out something because this is a bit of trivia. I never get to say to other people when I'm talking about Invincible for the like three seconds they normally let me talk about it before they said, "Oh, that's cool." Moving on. Uh, Invincible's <laughs> logo is where Image Comics got its logo, or it was vice versa. I can't remember at the moment because it's been so long. But basically, that was basically the basically. Um, Invincible was wearing the Image Comics logo for his iconic costume, which was where he was published. I actually did not know that. It's pretty cool. Yeah. But what are your thoughts on Brandyworth here? And then we'll talk about the action scene with Eve's siblings. Okay, Brandyworth. Honestly, for redeemed scientist who turned hobo, he's perfect. He play. It's like it's a bit of a twist on the role because normally, like. They either go crazy while they're in the hobo state, or it's like they've given up on life. It's a whole... There are a few states it goes into. Instead, it's like, oh no, I've been watching over you. I've been a hobo. I've been like homeless and everything, but I've kept close to make sure you were okay, to keep you from using your powers, hopefully, so that way no one comes after you. And I just, I just like that. He's just trying to like honor, his, honor her mother. It's, I really like that. It's 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 really nice to know like Eve had someone else looking after her, even if she couldn't talk to him at first. Yeah, and I think the bit at the end too, whenever it's revealed that the mom is still technically alive, I think that also like really sells home like how much Brandyworth actually cared about Eve and her mother. I forgot the mother's name, but uh, regardless, I, I think it really showed like how much he cared. And also, the line wherever like she goes into full rage mode and she uses her full power, and she's like, I defy you to remember my name, is just one hell of like, oh, yeah, she's a big deal. Uh, <laughs> that's that's definitely again, a line Gene to remember. <laughs> yeah, it's a Gene <laughs> Grey moment, but it's one that I think really works. I think Invincible works in that way to where sometimes... I feel like The Boys comes across, as much as I do like The Boys, I think The Boys is a really good show. But sometimes it comes across as, like, parody in the way that they don't like this. Like, they don't like superheroes and stuff like that. Because the original author did not like superheroes. Yeah, and I think the show has a little bit of that, too, to where it's like, we're so cynical about it. So we're going to attack it from that viewpoint. Whereas I feel like Invincible, whenever they're poking fun at stuff, like I mentioned the Avengers, and I, you mentioned Jean Grey, I think it comes across as like more optimistic and fun. 
Yeah, I totally agree because it's like instead of like saying, "Oh, that's stupid" or everything, it's like the or like how the boys do it. They're like, "Oh, that's fun." Wait, is that what that's supposed to be? Or it's or it's just like just small little moments where it's like, "Yeah, it's a it's weird, but it's funny." And also, you can kind of see some of that stuff happening in the real world. Like, you can't tell me that if superheroes exist in the real world, they wouldn't have gimmick designs for their costumes. They would. It's a marketing thing. And it's also fun. We are very weird and fun creatures. So I think delving into that, especially in superhero works or superhero parodies, is fun. And I'm glad Invincible keeps that. Yeah. And that's, again, not to disparage the boys and be like, oh man, that show sucks. I think it's a really good show. I think they should have definitely set it up to end in this upcoming season they're doing because Homelander's too OP of a character and it's very clear that this show is resting on Anthony Starr's fucking shoulders and they don't want to let that go. Yeah, I don't know how much longer <laughs> he can carry that. He is he is not Atlas. He's been holding it up, but he can't keep it there. Let's go ahead and talk about this action sequence. So Eve, she learns her power. She starts fighting crime. You have this, I think another reason I like this episode so much is it felt very Spider-Man to me. In terms of her discovering her origins, and she has some quips, and they're pretty good, especially for somebody who's supposed to be 12 years old. You're not expecting, like, in terms of a viewer, I'm not expecting top-tier comedy out of a character who's supposed to be 12. So, I was sitting there just smiling, like, oh yeah, she's about to really fuck up this guy. And then she does, and she eventually gets into another fight with the other creations over there at the lab. That created her. And they are disgusting. Um, Absolutely disgusting. And what we get after this is not a fun, quiffy battle. And instead, just Adam Eve fighting for her life in very creative ways. That is the first sign, I think, of, oh, she's way more powerful than I thought she was in the first season. She can really hold her own against probably anybody in this universe. So I'm excited to see what's next. But in terms of this scene here, she almost didn't get out of it alive. Uh, <laughs> what no, are your she thoughts on it? I always like seeing uh, people with constructs use their powers creatively. It is one of my favorite powers just because you can do nearly anything with it. But at the same time, you are in a life or death situation where you cannot always focus that well. So you have to um, create with what you got. And in this one, I like what she does. I, lo- I love how creative she is. I'm also very much disgusted. Body horror is one thing. Body horror is weird for me. I like it to because it's like it's a real good way of showing your audience. Oh yeah, this is they are in pain or this is like not the best uh, look or anything. But this, but the other time, I kind of want to throw up a lot of times when I see it. So I have this whole mid ground with it. But seeing. But seeing um, Eve fight her siblings and her having to use her powers versus their um, versus their body horror abilities, which are pretty good considering that they can like grab rubble from their destroyed projectiles and use it as a mace. It's like both of them are really creative with, with their powers, but it's also like you see how Eve starts to develop some of her skills, why she learns how to fly, how um, she becomes a support for the team team. 
it's like a lot of the stuff is like highlighted with this origin it's like what did she learn from this battle because this is probably the battle that is always in her head yeah and there's a lot of notable moments from this fight too from her kind of putting on this like iron man armor to there's a part where she gets absolutely battered she's bloody on the road there's a car coming and then she quickly puts a ramp up so it just goes over and then she actually saves the people in that car and throws it back at one of the siblings uh, a lot of really cool moments and then Brandyworth saves her and the siblings all die in front of her uh, two out of three die in front of her I think uh, and one in her arms and that's it's somehow sad but at the same time, the entire scene, they're just being so hateful and aggressively like, we're going to kill you. And by the end of it, you feel really bad for the people that caused so much destruction and almost killed people. Yeah, because at the end of the day, they didn't really want to, but their lives depended on it. That's all that they knew. And what's worse is that the last person, the last person who could have shown them uh, compassion was kicked out of the project. Well, Brandyworth there to be like the heart for the kids. Like they have nothing to really go back on besides we might have a chance to be whole if she comes back. But at the same time, it's also like that's not gonna happen. Like you got to. It's like I'm pretty sure in the back of at least the um the head sibling's head. It's like he knows. It's like once she's there, there there's nothing left for them. They're not going to be fixed. They're not going to be stabilized. They're going to be replaced. All, it's just like they're in the situation where they truly cannot win. And all their anger is just being poured out over the one success of their family. I would imagine, too, that... I wish this was in the episode, but I would imagine, too, this is what gets her on the radar for the team team. And, C- and Cecil? I think she started the team team. I'm not sure, because that's not really important to like the Invincible Universe. Yeah. Like, but I think she's one of the, like, the But at least founders. the Cecil. Like you were just saying. I feel like this is the battle that got her on the radar to that. Yeah. Because before she was just going out, like, randomly stopping bank robbers and shit. Like, nobody gave a damn who she was. So I feel like this was the first one that was, who the hell is this girl? Yeah, that's true. But the more I think about it, it's like, thank God that this happens in a time before um, picture phones. Because she would have been everywhere. <laughs> At least, like, without the picture phone, she has that, she has those moments to where she, uh can figure out can still figure out some of the superhero life herself. Let's get into our favorite and least favorite moments along with our final ratings. Favorite moment, you know it because I made a joke about it. Come on, it's her phoenix moment. That's it it just <laughs> it's just it's just it harkens back to it's her awesome. origins. Yeah, it's awesome. I defy you from remembering my name. I defy you to remember my name. Come on now. Like, I, I'm paraphrasing. I don't think that was the exact quote, but it was very close. That's badass as hell. It's amazing. I really want to know where she gets the te- the telepathy power, but I don't care. I don't care. Because she's just badass all around. Other favorite, least favorite moments? I don't think we have many least favorite. Least favorite as in it broke my heart? The picture? Why, Amazon? And why? I would say it's one of my least favorite moments in the same way there. It was good, but whenever uh, Brandywurst starts fighting with Erickson, you immediately know, oh, he's about to die. Oh, yeah. And then you hear the gunshot go off, and you're like, oh, he did. And he was dead. <laughs> he was not, no last words or anything. 
So that was at least favorite moment just because of the heartbreak. I think that hit me harder than the mom dying. Just because the mom was already, in all intents and purposes, already dead. Yeah, it's like there was no coming back from her. There was no healing for her. The yeah. best thing to do is is kill her so she can have peace. Mm-hmm. But it's one of those things where it's so sad at the same time because Eve holds her mom in her arms as she dies. And then the her basically her father, quote-unquote, is killed seconds later and she couldn't do anything about it. Because she was trying to comfort her mother. Honestly, in my head canon, I do put Brandyworth as the fa- as the father, maybe like like the donor to be the father and everything. Because it's like we know it's not um we know it's not um Eric Erickson. Yeah. So yeah, that's my that's my head canon. So I say like yeah, her legit fa- her um uh, biological father died too. But it's like it, it doesn't matter because that was basically all intense as her father. I would say my favorite moments, really a lot of this episode, I don't really have anything bad to say. It was a damn good episode. It's quality of Invincible that now I expect from the show. See, this is why you don't come out of the gate swinging with 10s out of 10s, because now you have expectations. And at least so far, they've not been out of the park. Or Taylor, you come out swinging with 10s, and then you hit with the 11s. They haven't hit with an 11 yet, but this is very close to a 10 for me. Oh, they will. If it's not in season two, season three will be swinging out the gate with an 11 because it's going to have one of the best fights in all of Invincible. (laughs) Oh, man. You're teasing me way too much with what you know to what I don't know, and it's a little bit frustrating, look, to be quite it honest is, with you. Look, it is frustrating for me to keep quiet on this. Do you know how many times I have caught myself from saying a name that is important or is going to come up, and it's like, I can't say it because then I'll spoil stuff? Well, I thank you for your sacrifice, Drew. No problem. Let me calm down. Keep talking. But you have the ending. You have that action sequence with the siblings. That was all great. A lot of the conversations with her and Brandyworth were great. Even though it's not the most fun in terms of building the character, all of these conversations with her parents, with Val, that was all very helpful to knowing, like, oh, man, that's why I why Eve is the way she is in season one. And why whenever we see her family life in season one, it's a little bit jarring the first time to me yeah. when you're watching. Because you're like, wait, well, what the, why is her dad so much of a dick? And then you see it and you're like, he's just a dick. Okay, that makes sense. <laughs> there was no like real reasoning. I guess the reasoning is like he wanted a quote unquote normal daughter. Because you have one moment at the beginning to where they're just watching TV, and it's one time, I think, in the entire series so far, that both of them seemed happy around each other. And that seemed like the only time that she was quote-unquote normal. So I guess that's the reasoning, but at the same time, I think it gives a, a lot of background for us as the audience to be like, oh, that's why Eve feels the way she feels towards yeah. her family. Because she had a family that she didn't even know she had, and she'll never get the chance to talk to them ever again. Yeah. One of my um friends who I got to watch Invincible, and now he's excited for season two as well, and I do the same thing I do to you, Taylor. Uh, but 
he described the dad as he's the dick who cares but can't stop being a dick. That's a decent way to put it. I think he cares to an extent. He cares. Like one of it, like in season one, he wa- he doesn't want Eve to leave because it can be da- it, it can be dangerous. He only allowed her to be a superhero because she had a superhero boyfriend who would pretty much take the hit for her if that ever happened and everything. It's like he he does. It's like he doesn't like her powers. That is one thing that is very clear. But he lo- but he loves her. It's just he's a dick. Yeah. Uh. And I don't know. I don't have any least favorite moments. This was a really damn good episode. Uh, in terms of final thoughts, then I would say go watch this if you haven't already. I don't know why you listen to a spoiler talk. It's definitely worth the time. It's about fifty-five minutes. It's very depressing. But somehow also fun. It's got some really good music in it. The visuals are better than season one. Have some tissues ready? Yeah, have some tissues ready. The story of Adam Eve is going to propel her as a character to top tier status alongside your favorites. And just be ready for the rest of season two because I'm expecting... Now I'm expecting not only top tier content from Invincible season two... I'm expecting something for Adam Eve, which is not something I was uh, before this episode. Before this episode, I was like, oh yeah, she's just going to be uh, maybe a love interest for Mark down the line. Maybe she's going to have something to do her own storyline, but I'm not that all interested. After this episode, no, I'm completely invested now. I want to see them move forward with the momentum of this episode and do something with Adam Eve. Oh Taylor, you are you are not going to be disappointed. I will tell you. I better not. Be. <laughs> but yeah, uh, I am in the same boat. I don't have a least favorite moment. Like there is no moment that I feel like is bad. And also, I think I like the fact that not that while Erickson is the definition of I like they are prop they are the property uh, business owner or general or head honcho or whatever. They're bad guy there to be bad guy. Yeah, he's a bad guy there to be a bad guy, but um. The other scientist who works for him, uh, what's his name? Do they ever say his I name? I don't remember. I don't know if they ever say his name at all. He just uniquely looked different. I think it's Rogers, if I can remember. But the other scientist, it's like he still does care for the kids to a bit. Like obviously, it's like it's it's him or them, and he chooses himself. But Rogers is still human and everything. He's still has some compassion in him and everything it's like that's one of the things i like about invincible every is like you have characters who act like cartoon uh not cartoon uh kids show must shot must villains and everything like that one guy from season one who was attacking the lincoln memorial not the lincoln memorial mount rushmore <laughs> that's one of the funniest bits because it just came out of nowhere and this guy's talking about like all sorts of stuff and you're like where did you come from man uh he's way better than he was in the comics that is one thing i will give invincible it improves on a lot of stuff from the comics and i didn't think that was possible but it does uh but yeah it's like it's like it has a collection of different characters who act different and even if characters act similarly to each other there's still like enough difference to where you say yeah this is like a thriving universe it's really good i like it yeah and i would say that this universe while very dark at times i think it has that i I mentioned how Eve's story was a little bit like spider-man 
I feel like it feels a little bit like Spider-Man, just the whole universe and Invincible, the character. To whereas there's a little bit, yeah, I'll get dark, but there's that glimmer of optimism that you as audience member is like, okay, so it's not all dark and gloomy BVS bullshit. Like, we're going to get to something here. There is not just, we're not looking through the lens of cynicism and everything sucks and everybody sucks and you should just accept it. It feels like it's a show where it's like, yeah, a lot of shit happens, but we'll see by the end of it. Things might change. Also, it doesn't, uh, it, it's a universe that doesn't get off on making the main character 100% miserable. Sometimes it's just a life yeah. that kind of gets in the way. Even then, then the season one, Mark wasn't completely miserable. Like, Adam Eve is by the end of this episode, <laughs> and she's the title character of this episode. But Mark at the end of season one, with all the stuff he's been through, even by the end of it, he's somehow trying to move forward. And I feel like that's what we're going to kind of go with with all of our characters. Someone get this girl a cake, a burger, and a hug. Oh, man. That burger did not look that good, though. I'll say it. Not, it didn't look like a complete burger to me. Alright. Look, she she likes her burgers the way she likes it, and she just needs some comfort food. Oh, this show, right. oh, this show is great. show is great. But let's get out of here, man. Let's talk about what we're working on and where can people find us. Drew, what you're working on and where can the people find you? You can find me on YouTube, Writer's Room. I'm going to be doing an, doing a special inaugural YouTube video with Tristan for that one because I've changed YouTube channels. And unfortunately, I have lost the hard drive that held my video, so I might have to remake some stuff. So I, I should have uh, checked before I deleted my channel. Sorry, everyone. Uh, but yeah, so going to be starting Writer's Room and going to be doing a special episode with Tristan. Uh, I will give you guys a release date after we record it, but you can look forward to that. In other, in other stuff, you can find me on Instagram and on Twitter, or X as it's now called. Uh, as for where you can find me, you can find me in our Discord, the link for which is going to be in the description of this episode. As for what I'm working on, I'm just working on these podcasts here. I want to thank Drew for joining me. I want to thank anyone for listening in. We will be back next week with a brand new episode.